A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Nathan. I'm on staff here at the church, and I'm so glad that you're here with us as we are actually coming to the end of this series we've been in since the beginning of the year on the life of Jesus as told uh, by Mark. And uh, today, I want to talk about this idea of covenants and agreements. And what it makes me think of is, am I the only person, I mean, honestly, am I the only person who when you get one of those online terms and conditions agreement, you just go all the way to the bottom and just go ahead and sign it no matter what it says? Am I the only one who does it? Seriously, you cannot even order a pizza online anymore without signing one of these things that probably gives away the rights to your firstborn child. You're like, son, I'm sorry, but it was free delivery on a deep dish pizza. What was I going to do? Seriously, did you know that in the Instagram uh, agreement, uh, in the terms and conditions agreement, they basically say, uh, for, for less or more, that Instagram owns the rights and the likeness to every picture that you post on Instagram. And so don't be alarmed if your cute little photo of your family turns out to be in an ad for a hemorrhoid cream or something. You gave it away. You just put it up there for anyone to want. Now, none of you are actually that worried about this, right? Because what you know is that none of these things are probably going to get enforced in that way because in our culture, in our world, well, agreements have to be what we would call rational and reasonable. They have to be things that make sense. We live in a contract-based society. We are in an individualistic society. What I mean is what most people are most focused on is individual rights and freedoms. And the points of these contracts and agreements is really to protect ourselves, to protect our interests from another person. But today, we're not talking about contracts. Today, we're talking about covenants. As you heard in our scripture reading, Jesus is talking to his disciples right before his death, and he talks about what Luke would describe in this same encounter as a new covenant. Mark says it would be created in his body, in his blood. Now, covenants were a common thing in the ancient world. And a covenant is like a contract. It's like an agreement where two people agree to do something together. But unlike our contracts, the point of a covenant is not to protect yourself. The, covenant, the, the point of a covenant is not to protect yourself from another person. It is to bind yourself in obligation to another person into a relationship. There's this insightful book called Misreading Scripture with Individualist Eyes. Uh, and I'm not saying you need to read it, but I'm going to tell you something that's in it. Two missionaries, E. Randolph Richards and Richard James, they speak about, they ministered uh, in what is the current Near East or what we call the Middle East uh, in the Eastern world. And their point is that the current Near East and Middle Eastern world is very similar to the ancient Near Eastern world that Jesus lived in. And he says, in their world, gifts come with strings attached. 
relationships are these covenantal things. Now, in our world, this is the, when we hear that a gift comes with strings attached, we hear that as a very negative thing. You've given me a gift and now I'm bound to you. I'm obligated to you. I'd rather you just not give me the gift. I'd rather me just go off and do my own thing so I can hold on to my own rights and my own privileges. But in, in the Eastern world and in the ancient Near Eastern world, they also believe that gifts come with strings attached. But they think that's the point of it. That the point is, when you give a gift, when you do a favor, when you are kind to someone, the point of it is to bind yourself in relationship to that other person. That this creates this covenant bond that is not about protecting myself and my interests from you. It is about putting boundaries around the relationship so when I want to get out, there's a reason for me not to get out. There's a boundary around it. Relationships in American culture, I don't know if you've noticed this, they're rather fickle kind of things. They're a little, they're a little fickle. Most people don't think much about having to ghost somebody or breaking off any kind of relationship with anybody or, or dismissing a friendship right away or even a marriage. There doesn't seem to be as big of a boundary around these kind of things. What most of us want is we don't want to be bound in obligation to someone. I want the freedom to walk away. And so agreements and contracts in our world are not about binding me to someone else. They're about protecting me from someone else. Whether that be a prenuptial agreement or a business contract that gives me the freedom that if I want to walk away, I have the right to do so if you don't hold up your end of the bargain. We think of contracts as being the rules that I or someone else has to follow or I get to walk away. But covenants in the ancient world were about creating these relationships. They were about one party or both parties doing favors, giving gifts to one another for the sake of being obligated and bound to one another. They want to be bound to one another. They want these boundaries around the relationship because they become secure. They become known. We are in this covenantal relationship. What we see throughout the Bible is that God, the God of Israel, is a covenant-making God. In fact, the story we're talking about today takes place on the night before Jesus is crucified. And Mark wants to make sure that we know that this is taking place on the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread or the festival of Passover. This is a festival that celebrates God freeing the people of Israel out of slavery, but also it celebrates this covenant that God made with the people of Israel. And earlier that week, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, and we've heard this story before, many of you, that he comes in, he's welcomed as this king. People are chanting praises for him. There's excitement because the word has spread that maybe he's this long-promised Messiah or this long-promised king. And one of the reasons that there are so many people in Jerusalem is because it's the Passover festival. Passover is one of the three pilgrimage festivals that uh, ancient Jews would travel to Jerusalem to be a part of. And so people thought, well, if the Messiah is here, and it's Passover festival. That means something's going on. Something is happening here. Mark has already told us that Jesus knew in Jerusalem, the kingdom he would bring, he would be crowned in his death. The crown he would wear would be a crown of thorns. 
the inauguration of his kingdom would be his death. And he's told all his disciples this, but they seem to have this kind of mental block around the whole thing. They seem to just want to ignore any of this idea of his death. It's like they're ignoring him saying all this, and so on the night that he knows, I'm going to be arrested. Jesus wanted to have one final meal with his disciples to try and make clear to them what God was going to be doing and what he knew for them would be this unimaginable circumstance of his death. So Mark tells us that all this takes place during the Passover festival, and that is no accident. As I've said, one, the amount of people in the crowd is because that it, it's Passover festival. But the second reason is there's a lot of symbolism around what Passover is about, around this Passover meal, which reveals a lot about what is going on with Jesus and his death. And he wants to redefine all of this for them. And he doesn't want his disciples to miss this. Passover was the annual festival when the people of Israel would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate God delivering them from slavery in Egypt. It was this time they remembered God's covenant with them, that the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. This festival was not only important to them as a nation, but it was sacred to their faith. So Jesus and his followers sit down to this meal that happens on the first night of the festival and is this symbolic recreation of Israel's final meal in Egypt. God had told the Israelites that a plague would be coming on Egypt, which would take the lives of the firstborn in all the land. Just as the Egyptians had once taken the lives of the firstborn of Israel, the firstborn in Egypt would experience the same fate. And God told the people of Israel that when this happened, he would protect and pass over them. If they took a lamb from their flocks, smeared its blood on the doorposts of their homes, and ate a meal consisting of the meat from this lamb and unleavened bread. And I think it's okay for us to admit, this makes many of us uncomfortable. It's a little shocking when you picture it, and it may bring up a bunch of questions. I wanna say that's okay, and this is a place where you can bring your questions and doubts. And questions should not be something that makes you pull away, but I hope they draw you in with curiosity. Allow your questions to lead you to people who you can ask these questions to. And maybe as you get drawn towards people who follow Jesus, you can see him more clearly. When Jesus sat down with his closest followers to eat this special Passover meal, he completely redefined it. So Mark tells us, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Now, you need to know most, if not all, of Jesus' disciples had eaten this meal since they were little. And there's a script that you follow at this meal. And they're probably expecting Jesus to hand them the bread and say, this bread is a reminder of how our ancestors had to leave Egypt in such a hurry that they could only make bread without leaven. Let's eat and remember God's deliverance of our people. But instead of pointing back to God's deliverance in Egypt, Jesus points to himself. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. And Luke adds that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. This bread is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Think about this. This is one of the most sacred rituals for their faith. And Jesus says, hey guys, from now on this meal, it's about me. That would be like me saying, Hey, this December, when everyone's putting up decorations and trees and getting presents, why don't we just do that to honor me? 
put up the nativity and Photoshop my face on that baby. Now, not only is that outrageous and narcissistic, but it's also so offensive. It's blasphemy, and I think this might be how the disciples felt. This bread is about God freeing us from Egypt. It's not about you. I don't think you can say that. But he doesn't stop there. He then took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And I think they're holding their breath. Okay, Jesus, don't mess this up. We know what this cup is about. It's the blood of the Passover lamb. It's about God judging Egypt and freeing us. Stick to the script. But Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. It's not the blood of the Passover lamb. It's my blood. It's not about the covenant God made with Israel after he led them out of slavery in Egypt. It's, as Luke adds in his account, the blood of the new covenant between God and people. And what Jesus wants them to see is that a new Passover has come, a new deliverance and salvation is here. And it's not just for Israel, it's for the whole world. And this is only going to be possible if a new lamb is sacrificed. This old meal, this old covenant, it's gone. A new meal is here. And this new meal is part of a new covenant made possible through the body and blood of Jesus. So as I said, the God of Israel, the God we see in the Bible, is this covenant-making kind of God. And I want you to try and get in your head how strange of a concept this much must have been in the ancient world. Because in the ancient world, gods were mostly seen as pretty transactional, pretty petty, pretty cruel. The idea that a God would make a covenant with people, that he would somehow stoop down to the level to be bound to human beings, it just sounded ridiculous. They might act in your favor if you sacrifice something that was precious enough to you, and they might do this every once in a while, but that they would be obligated to you, it just sounded, it almost sounded like he was becoming their servant. It was almost like a God had become their servant, and especially gods would not make covenants with the covenant partners that God chose. If you read the Old Testament, you, all you see is how unfaithful these covenant partners are to their end of the bargain. The Old Testament is full of these stories of God being faithful to human beings and the human beings messing it up. We don't even have to look that far. We can just look at the actual covenant that they were celebrating on this Passover festival, that God leads the people of Israel out of slavery and he leads them to this mountain and he calls Moses up and he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I want to be your God and you will be my people. We'll be bound to one another. We'll be together in this kind of relationship. I'll give you a land to be yours. I'll protect you from other nations. And then he says, and your end of the bargain is, I'm going to show you the best way for you to live. This is where the Ten Commandments come in. This is where all those hundreds of laws come in where he's trying to teach them because they're almost like children and he's got to tell them how to do every single part of their life. And he's trying to tell them, hey, this is what you do. But the goal is, I want to be your people. I've already, I want to be your God and you be my people. But as God and Moses are on the mountain making this agreement, what are the people of Israel doing? 
They're melting down all of their stuff to make a golden calf to start worshiping the calf because they've assumed that God has taken Moses up to the mountain to kill him, I guess. And they assume that God has abandoned them, so they need to just go ahead and start worshiping this golden calf. And you need to think this through. This is the day they're making the covenant. This is like cheating on your spouse on your wedding day. You can't make it an hour into this covenant without breaking the, the one rule that I'm giving you. You can't, break, you can't make it through this. But God keeps his covenant to be their God. They break the covenant. He goes, okay, I'll still be your God. And then he, he gives them a nation. And how do they repay him? They continue to break the covenant. He says, I'm going to go in and I'm going to be your king. I, God himself will be your king and your leader. And they go, well, we don't really want a, we don't want you as king. We want a human king. And God sees that and he says to the prophet Samuel, they're rejecting me. They're rejecting me as king. But still he gives them a human king. And what do those human kings do? They lead them to worship all these other idols that eventually the whole land has just been filled with this horrible amount of sin and depravity because all of these kings have led the people of Israel astray and the whole nation is in shambles. And so God does what all good parents do. He's not, he's not kicking them out. He puts them in time out. And so they, they, they are captured by all these other empires. And they're sent away. And before they do, he says, look, it's, you're going to be sent away for this period of time. And he comes to them through these prophets and he says, but I'm, I'm still your God. I will return to you. I will be your God. You will be my people. And you have to imagine how weak and foolish this must have looked to ancient people. Your God makes a covenant with you. And you can't keep it, and he keeps coming back to you. In fact, one of the prophets, one of the illustrations he uses is a man named Hosea, who he says, go and marry this woman who is a prostitute, and she's going to keep turning back to her old life and keep sleeping with other men, and I want you to keep going back to her and drawing her back. And then he says, that's what I'm like. It's like I'm constantly pursuing you, and I'm begging you, come back. A God begging with people? It didn't make any sense. But it's like they're making a mockery of him. But even though the people of Israel had been unfaithful, even though you and I have been unfaithful, God is eternally faithful. It's just who he is. God is steadfast, unrelenting, never-ending, loving kindness. And during this time that the people of Israel are in exile, he sends them these prophets. And he starts telling them one day, God... I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And the, here's the good news. My covenant will not just be with the people of Israel. It'll be for the whole world. For the whole world. People from every nation and language and tribe and ethnicity and skin tone. Every person can be brought into this new covenant. And that leads us back to Jesus. Jesus, who is the first true Israelite. He's the only person to ever be a faithful covenant partner. The way we often say it is he never sinned. He never broke the law. All he did was good and just and right. And he also seemed to have this ability to understand. And it almost felt like he was redefining some of God's laws with this kind of authority and wisdom that no one else had ever had. It was as if he was the fulfillment of one of these old Hebrew prophecies about the new covenant where it says 
God said, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. I'm going to put my law in their minds. I'm going to write it on their hearts. And he says, this means no one's ever going to have to teach them how to be obedient to me. They will just know the Lord their God in this personal kind of relationship. And we see this in Jesus' life because the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they keep coming and they're quoting all these laws and these traditions of the elders. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about this. And Jesus seems to have this uncanny ability to just flip it all around on them and go, no, 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 I am the fulfillment of the law. All these things that you have been seeing, all these things you've been trying to follow, I am the one who fills that to the full. I'm the fulfillment of all of these laws, all of these prophets, all of that. He was what they were pointing to. Because Jesus said, the law and the prophets, they can be summed up with this one thing, love. Love God, love your neighbor. And Jesus is love because Jesus is God. Jesus is the clearest picture of God. And God is love. He was the fulfillment of God's covenant with Israel to create a kind of people who could faithfully follow God's command to love God and to love others. And so at this Passover meal, Jesus explained, he's bringing a new covenant. The old one is gone. The new one has come. In Luke's account, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people in agreement confirmed with my blood. And this is an interesting note only in the sense that covenants required the shedding of blood. So in their culture, the way it would work is if you had what's called a parity covenant, it's two equal partners, me and you want to go into business together, or we want to be, you know, build this kind of relationship, we would take, and this is kind of gross to us, but they would take an animal and they would cut it right down the middle, and they would take the two parts of that animal and they would, they would move it to the sides, and then the two equal partners in the covenant would walk between the blood that had been shed and there was this implicit agreement of, may it be the same with me if I ever break this covenant. If I ever break this covenant, may the same thing happen to me. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus said, this agreement is confirmed in my blood. The lamb that will be slain, it's me. You have been unfaithful to me. You have broken every command that I have given you, and yet I will be the one who will shed my blood. And the next day, Jesus would go to a cross. And he would make this new covenant by laying down his life, and not just for the people of Israel, not just for one nation, but for any person throughout all history who wants in on this covenant. It's available. That invitation is open to you. It's open to me. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, the way we say it around here all the time, no matter what you think about God, God cannot stop thinking about you. No matter what thoughts you've ever had about God, no matter what those thoughts or those desires have led you to do, God cannot stop thinking about you. He is for you. The reason God is a covenant-making God is because what God is most interested in is you. What God is most interested in is your heart. He wants to be bound to you. He wants this kind of relationship with you. And our sin, our unfaithfulness, it has separated us from life with God. But good news, through Jesus' body and blood, a new covenant is available, life with God because of Jesus. And I do not want us to rush past this. I want to give us some time to have a conversation 
about this with God. And so I've asked Jason to come out. He's going to lead us through that same meal of the new covenant that Jesus gave to us. I think if we're all honest, that story that Nathan just told us, that story of Israel, we relate to that. Because in reality, that's your story. And that's my story. We turned away from God. We have all rejected His love for us. We've all made promises to God that we didn't keep. God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll, I'll never do that again. And then you did that again, right? We've all sinned. We've sinned against God. we sin against other people. But like Nathan just said, there is good news. God made a new covenant, a new agreement with humanity through the body and blood of Jesus. And he said, you can have a new life. You can have a new start, a life free from sin, where forgiveness and mercy is near to you. It is available to you all because of Jesus. So we're going to take some time and we're going to just spend a few moments crying out to Jesus. Maybe for you today, this is the first time you've done this. Or maybe it's your first time in a long time that you have talked to Jesus about your sin. But if you feel God calling you away from sin and towards this new life that he offers, would you talk to him about that? Because he does want to hear from you. So to get us started on that conversation, we're going to read some words from the Bible together that describe that new covenant that God has made with us. So you're going to see some words on the screen, and as is our tradition around here, when I get to the words that are in bold, feel free to read those out loud with me. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So take a moment and talk to God about your sins. Maybe there's something specific that he is bringing to your mind that you need to confess. Or maybe this is the first time you've tried to just turn to God and speak to him. So if it is and you're just not even sure what to say, a good place to start is just simply say, God, I need you. Or God, please forgive me. Take a moment. Let's do that together.
Let's continue our time together, and we're going to read some more words from Scripture. These are from the prophet Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, this new covenant, as I've said earlier, this is not a new moral code for you to live by. It is a new life where God makes you and me new, where his spirit lives within us and he is empowering us in every moment to follow his commands, to love God and to love other people. And he makes this possible for us he makes it possible for you to be faithful to your relationship with Him and to love other people. So would you just take a moment in, in these next few seconds and ask God to give you that power. Ask Him to help you follow Him faithfully in whatever area you have just confessed to Him. Or if you just spoke to God for the very first time, maybe you could just ask Him, God, what is my next step? And ask Him to lead you. Take a moment to So now let's together remember Jesus in this, in this meal of the new covenant, what we call communion. And around here we use symbols that Jesus chose, the one we, ones we just learned about, bread and juice, to remember his body and his blood given for us. And so when you came through the doors, you should have been handed a little pack of the symbols. You can go ahead and get those out right now. And as always, if you'd rather not participate with us in this, perfectly fine. But church, followers of Christ, let's honor Jesus and let's peel back the small end and let's take the bread and hold it. This is the body of Jesus. It was given for you to forgive your sins and offer you this gift of a new life. Let's eat and remember. And now peel back the cup. Hold it. Church, this is the blood of Christ. It was poured out for you and for me to make this covenant between God and people life forever in his kingdom. Let's drink and remember. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for Jesus. It is only by his body and his blood that our sins can be forgiven. And it's the only way that we can be made new again. So we ask you in these moments to empower us this week to turn away from our sin, to follow your commands that lead us to faithfully love you and to faithfully love 
other people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So like we've been saying this whole time, covenants are relational. But this new covenant that's between us and God, it is not only just a new covenant, it forms a new community to one another. At the same meal where Jesus spoke about the new covenant, he also gave a new command. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, even if you don't follow Jesus or read much of the Bible, it's probably not a shock to you that Jesus is all about love. And so the question would be, what makes this command all that new, right? He'd already told people to love their neighbor. He'd already told people to love their enemies. What was so new? Does that not cover everything? Why is there a new command? Well, I think it's two things. First, I do think the qualifier here of as I have loved you is pretty significant, right? Jesus is the one who gives the golden rule, which is to treat others as you want to be treated, right? But as Pastor Andy Stanley says, and I think this is very clever, he says Jesus here goes from a golden rule to a platinum rule, which is no longer just treat people how you want to be treated and whatever you could imagine. It's Treat people just as Jesus has loved you. And he goes on to say, greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. So the extent that you are to go to love one another is the extent that Jesus would go. And so that's the promise of the new covenant. The promise of the new covenant is that God gets what he wants. He gets a group of people who could faithfully love God and love people just like Jesus, who was the true faithful Israelite to follow this covenant. But here's the second part of what's new about this, and I don't want you to miss this. It is the one another part. By one another, Jesus is talking to the disciples of Jesus about their brothers and sisters in Christ, other disciples of Jesus. It's not just a new covenant that's between me and God. It's this new command. It's this new community. And in this new covenant community, I am not just a me. It's not just me and God. I am a part of a we. I'm a part of a new kind of community that is centered around this love one another kind of command. I become a one another. Here's how most of us I have found, at least I was always kind of taught, about this new covenant. Kind of works something like this. That there's me, and I'm happy. I'm doing all right, right? You can see that. Everyone's happy and doing good. And then God is somewhere... Right, He's up here, and there's this distance between me and him, and that's my sin, right? There's a separation, and Jesus comes in, and that's the cross, and he makes a bridge between me and God, right? And then there's all these suckers down here, and that's all the rest of you guys, right? All these kind of losers and bums down here. And some of these are my neighbors, right? So I got to love them, right? Once I get love from God, right, this establishes my relationship with God, me, me and God are good, and I get his love, and then I'm expected to go down here and love all of these. And some of these people are my neighbors, and some of them are my enemies, and i got to love them all, right? And because I have such a strong relationship with God, I'm going to be empowered to go out and love everyone always. And I don't even think this is a bad image, all right? Jesus does cause a bridge between me and God that allows me to come into his relationship. I think the problem with this image that makes it not as helpful is what's at the center of this image? Me. 
I'm at the center of the thing. And, Mo, did you not know I wasn't the center of this new covenant? I wasn't the one. So who should be at the center of this image? Yeah, it wasn't a riddle. It's Jesus, right? It's God, right? Jesus is right here in the center. And I think this is what Jesus is describing here. This kind of picture is what he's describing with this new command. That I'm no longer at the center. Jesus is at the center. And me, I'm one of these dots. I'm a one another. I'm, I'm one of the people that has, because of Jesus, come into this new relationship with God. Where Jesus loves me, and them, all these people. But, Jesus also says, not only are you to get love from Jesus, and then, you know, you've got to return that love to Jesus, right? So you've got to love Jesus. He says you've got to love one another. And by one another in particular, he is talking about me as a one another, loving this brother and sister. And them loving them. And them loving them. And them loving them. And we're all loving Jesus. And Jesus is loving us. And I'm loving her and him. And we're all sharing all of this love to one another. I'm willing, just as Jesus laid his life down for me and for her and for him and for all of us, I too would say, well, I'll lay down my rights. And if you need me, not only would I lay down my life, because I think a lot of times when we hear, be willing to lay down your life for Jesus, we think of some kind of imagined thing where someone's going to put a gun to my head and say, do you believe in Jesus? Which has not been most of our experiences. But where he may call me to lay down my life for him is to show up in the life of another person and to love them. And I'm tired and I'm busy and I'm grumpy and I don't want to do that but I still show up and I don't even like this brother or sister because <laughs> they're grumpy and they got problems. And they got all kinds of stuff, but I start loving them and they love me. And it turns out the power of Jesus empowers all of us to love one another. And here's the good news. You still got all these bums going on around your life. They're all still out there. And now you don't have to, you can actually truly go out and love your neighbor. You could actually truly go out and love your enemy because you're not expecting any love back from them. Your neighbor who gets on your nerves and you can't stand the way they treat you, you don't have to worry about that because these people and this person is loving you fully. And you have more than enough. And here's the good news. Then you can start loving and serving in a way that they might see your love for one another. And they might decide, I want in on that. And when they come in, and maybe they would see the love between brothers and sisters, and they would say, I've never been loved like that. And then when they get to the middle, they'd go, all of this is because of Jesus? Well, maybe I want him too. And maybe people get drawn in. This is the invitation of the new covenant. It's not just that God loves me unconditionally. Oh, he does. It is that he invites me to share in his unconditional love for one another. The new covenant comes with a new community centered around this new command to love one another just as God has loved us and it is from a community like this that the world would know we are disciples of Jesus that there is a new kingdom that there is a new kind of life that all these songs we sing that maybe there's truth to it because they can see it because they would know Jesus said in his final prayer that when the church would be united, he said, I pray for all these disciples. And he's not talking about his disciples. He says, the disciples that they will reach, I pray for all of them that they would be one, that they would be united in their love for God and for one another. And he said, by this the world will know that you have sent me. 
If brothers and sisters who are nothing like one another would be united to one another and love one another and lay their lives down for one another solely because of Jesus, the world would look and say, that's a community not of this world. That doesn't make sense, but there is something different happening there. It won't be a sermon we preach. It won't be an argument that you win. It won't be a ministry we we start. It'll be our love for one another that will be the evidence to a broken and divided world that there is a Savior and His name is Jesus. So here's my invitation for you today. Take a next step towards God, towards our community. Maybe today you felt God drawing you towards life with Him. Maybe you've heard us describe this new covenant of God and you want in. Maybe during those moments of silence, you talked to God about your sin and the weight of this, and you took communion, you were reminded of the the blood and the body of Jesus, or maybe this is the very first time you've ever even had thoughts about any of that. My, My point would be, would you talk to a one another about that? Would you talk to someone else? The Bible says when we decide that we're going to follow Jesus, that is not a private decision, that we need to share that. We need to make that public with others. And we would love to be your one another's. We would love to be that community. And so, as Jason's already said, as Molly's already said, would you go to the Next Step Center? Would you take a step towards community, towards the life of God? Now, maybe you've been coming a while and you are a believer, but you have not taken any steps towards community yet you come here and you receive communion and you pray but you don't know any one another's that you could ever love well my challenge to you is the same challenge would you take a step towards community so you could get in on this new command this new community that god has started that's different than anything else in this world and the step is the same for you go to next step center take a step today or maybe you were involved here you were serving You were volunteering, you were in a small group, you knew some people, and then the pandemic, as it did for many of us, just knocked it all out for you, and you've been coming back, but you have not taken a step towards anybody. You also need to go to the next step center. You need to take a step into community, and I hope you will do that, because the goal of life is for us to become people who can love God and love one another. And Jesus said, it is your love for one another that proves that you truly love your heavenly Father. So I hope you'll take a step towards life with God and others today because through Jesus, God has made life and his kingdom available to all of us. And it is the most rich and satisfying life that you could ever experience. So I want to give us a moment to consider what is our next step. It's going to give you about a minute of silence just for you and God to talk about it. You don't have to be pressured by the emotion of the service. You don't have to be pressured. It's just you in the silence talking with God. What is my next step? And then after that, our band is going to come out and they're going to lead us in a song that celebrates this amazing grace of God that was shown through the body and blood of Jesus given for us. But first, we're going to talk with God about what he's calling us to do. So let's do that now. Mm -hmm.